Welcome to the Polaris PT Podcast. Join us as we dive into all aspects of health and wellness, from physical and mental to relationships and spirituality with leading experts and luminaries from a broad spectrum of specializations. I'm your host, Dr. Brig Woods, performance physical therapist and owner of Polaris PT and Wellness. Today, I could not be more excited about who we have on. We have got the supple leopard himself, Dr. Kelly Sturet. Dr. Kelly Sturet is a coach, physical therapist, two-time New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author, speaker, and co-founder of The Ready State, the world's most comprehensive collection of guided movement, mechanics, and mobility instructional videos. We had a phenomenal conversation. I'm excited for you to hear it. So without further ado, welcome to the pod, Kelly Sturet. We're all good to go. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. I appreciate you making the time. I know you're a busy man. I lose you different again. Inter- different internet. Now we're rocking. All right. How was, uh, I know you're busy, dude. How was the trip to Utah? Uh, Utah was amazing. Um, I don't know the last time you got to unplug entirely for six days. Uh, just my oldest daughter and my wife and I did a six day self support trip down Desolation Canyon. And we had to, it was 90 miles basically. And we did it in six days, not eight days. So we had some, my hands are a little bit beat up from uh, trying to make the miles against the flat water and the head headwinds. But uh, it was just an amazing trip. And it's literally the most remote, remote part of the country you can find. You cannot be more remote. You bring a satellite phone because uh, you're so far out there. And it's just unbelievable to be that remote. And the thing really hasn't changed. They put in a dam way, way, way upstream. Okay. And so there are some trees and things that wouldn't exist because right. of the floods would rip through. But otherwise, it's very interesting to be in a part of the United States on the rivers that has remained the same for a billion years. That's really remarkable. Yeah. And especially in the United States, right? I mean, with as populated as we are. And Utah is one of those really special places. So I went to I went to school at BYU, but like... Utah having, I mean, you can go from sand dunes to crazy mountains to desert to whitewater rafting to blue ribbon fishing. I mean, it's, it's unreal. We, we spent the night in Provo and uh, you can see why the front range uh, is so beautiful and why people love it for sure. Yeah, no, it was a great place to go to school and lots of stuff to do outdoors. So yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm getting the chance to unplug this week. I haven't had that in a while. So I'm going to be up in uh, Flathead Lake, Montana. Montucky, oh, that'll be great. I know exactly where that is. That is so beautiful. That's going to be great. We um, And then just because it makes things interesting, we did a whipsaw from going from the peak desert to the CrossFit Games. Oh, yeah. So I just got back from the CrossFit Games late last night. And, uh, you know, talk about, um, you know, opposite experiences. It was an opposite experience, but it was great. Yeah. Yeah, the games, the games, are, the games were awesome this year. It was fun to watch. What did you like about them? Uh, I just, so the, the event, the most recent event that I was looking at was that one, oh gosh, what was it? They had to do a million, they were doing, um, muscle ups and then they ended with the, uh, the axle bar front rack lunges. Whew. Yeah. That thing was brutal. I, I love that. They're starting to add stuff like, like axle bars becoming a thing. The, the max sandbag lift, right? Yeah, what you see, you see is different changes. Uh, you know, Adrian Bosman, um, obviously master of games. Um, you know, those are, 
part of his DNA and ironically part of the DNA of San Francisco CrossFit where he and I were young coaches together, you know, and um, we did so, we had so many axles and we did, you know, the, I don't know if you saw that last workout was a sled where you put the kettlebells in the sled. That was basically a sled that we made in our parking lot with skis and a mailbox. And we just put stuff in it and pushed it around. So, um, you know, I, I, we too, we think the per, some of the elements of the programming were really, really fun. Watching, I was in Madison when the, uh, the sandbag carry up the steps of the Capitol. So first of all, kudos to the people of Madison and Wisconsin for opening that up because when the last athlete came through, they released the crowd and it looked like, it felt like Alpe d'Huez, felt like Tour de France where people right. are crushing in. And I, I mean, I was like, that is just a moment of all moments. It's unbelievable. Well, and, and it felt like early on CrossFit, right. was functional and they threw some weird stuff in there. I remember like them having to throw like softballs or baseballs through stuff. Right. And things like that. And I kind of, I sort of missed that through the last couple of years as it sort of felt like it was, you know what, let's just make this as ridiculous as we possibly can with volume and load and, and things like that. And got a little bit away from that sort of functional, the functional roots, so to speak. And, and this I year felt like it got a little bit back closer to that. What you see is athletes who spend a lot of time on a barbell developing strength and barbell skills are going to be competent there. But that really leads us into the reason we're training is to apply the principles and application to some novel experience, novel load. That's why we train and coach people in the real world. And I think what you saw was um, suddenly if you are hyper-efficient – then you could do that sandbag. And if you, you know, what I always like is, can we, you know, apply skill? Can we apply strength and conditioning to a new task? Because our model has always been the person who picks up the new skill, the fastest wins. And what was really fun is to see novel exposure, novel tasks for these athletes. Like, obviously, some of the women had never done double kettlebell cleaning jerk before ever, which is crazy. Or they've done it once back in, you know, when in high school. And, you know, as soon as you're not holding a bar overhead and you're holding two things where you have to have a lot more proximal stability of the shoulder, you cannot hide your deficiency. And if you're not efficient with that, you know, you can, as soon as you have a barbell, you can get away with it. You can put your thumbs in weird places. You can try to rotate, you can overextend, but you cannot do that. And I just, I just like that novelty where we're, we're saying, hey, you, you have this big engine. How well can you apply this big engine to these tasks? So I think that is super cool. Well, yeah, no, very cool. And I thought, especially with like, you know, the double kettlebells, like you said, you can't hide those deficiencies. And I love, you know, one of the things you, you kind of talk about a lot is, right, if you can't own it in single leg or single limb, do you really own it at all? Well, and it gets us out of this rat race of perpetual chasing of physiology where all that matters is that you have another engine and the engine has another few hundred cubic centimeters and we're just going for the biggest capacities ever without looking at skill without looking at you know efficiency economy of the system which means that you know one of my favorite coaches is a guy named Franz Bosch and uh, he's this brilliant Dutch thinker anatomy of agility is one of his books but, you know, he points out that a lot of the gains that we're getting from a motor learning perspective, a lot of the gains that we're getting from kind of classical training is improvements in economy and efficiency. 
and and we call that coordination even. And oftentimes that's really neglected. And if you look at the through the filter of how people are training the gyms, traditional gyms, not people who are doing the basics of good strength and conditioning practice, but it's really physiology based. As long as I can get on this bike and produce more watts, or I can get on this machine and add another plate, then I'm somehow stronger and fitter. And that is going to transfer over to all the things that matter. And it doesn't, you know, I just saw a really good physio online talk about <clears throat> how surprised they were, how sore they were and wrecked they were after playing four games of softball, even though they did, they skateboard and mountain bike and, and do gymnastics and a whole lot of things. And I was like, well, th this is really the test, right? The test is, is my training giving me enough exposure allowing my brain to own enough positions where I can then go pick up a novel skill and not be destroyed. That really, for me, is the test of how my fitness is. And if you're doing Pilates, which is wonderful, but suddenly you pick up some speed or some real load, you're going to find that that Pilates didn't prepare you for the Olympics very well, right? And right. I think that's really one of the salient questions about as we move into fitnessing, strength, and conditioning for average people – average being myself, middle-aged dad, I don't want to rupture my biceps tendon. I don't want to pull my Achilles off the bone. So what are the sets of exposures that can help <laughs> inoculate me against those things? One. Two, what are the lifestyle components that really help me? Now, where, now the real question is, where am I learning those skills? In a 45-minute PT session that's now a 30-minute PT session? Impossible. The wrong application of an entire field of study to a problem. So now we need to be thinking about how we're going to, where we're going to deliver this information and how we're going to expose people to these things. Otherwise, let's just own it. We'll be like, dude, it's okay. Do the elliptical, do some bicep curls. When you injure yourself, I'll be here and we'll just take a step back. It's totally cool. Let's own it and stop pretending that we can control it or manage it. Right. Yeah. No, this was, uh, you know, and, and here I was thinking I was really fit. Like I was doing really, you know, killing it in my, really in my well yeah killing it in my crossfit classes i was like yeah i'm good my mobility was improving things were going great i go to help my parents move one day and my dad has got this massive i mean it is massive wooden desk and they have it on they have it on the dolly they're going to slide it out the front door and they've got it halfway out and they don't want to step the dolly down right because they're, they're worried about messing up the desk I had just been teaching a mobility workshop. I, I show up and they're like, oh, Briggs here. He can help. He'll, he'll lift it, right? He can deadlift 500 pounds. Let's get him in here. So I get right up in there, come on, starting out cold, get my hands under, get real low, go to stand up. Got that, just that little bit of terminal extension at the elbow. Pop, knew exactly what happened the minute it happened. Plus some translation of that shoulder. You know, um, at the games weekend, I talked to three or four people who had, you know, ruptured that biceps. Um, and I was like, did it happen during pickleball? Because it's then like my number one new pickleball injury. Like, you know, when injuries get hot, you know, I'm like, yeah. oh, this is a hot, this, this biceps for the pickleball is destroying oh, yeah. people right now. The same way. And I talked to a couple people who had, you know, torn Achilles playing basketball. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. That's very old school. You're a middle-aged yeah. guy playing basketball. Of course, you tell your Achilles. But I'm like, ooh, this biceps tendon? How'd you do that? And they're like, pickleball. I'm like, oh, I'm pickleball. Pickleball so, is the new biceps tendon. Distal? I, the, yeah, the, the speed is uh, is throwing people off. Oh, I guess. Yeah, coming through, right? Like, 
which really sends us up to, you know, I, uh, I mean, I just wrote something this morning for some content I want to make that speed is ultimately the ultimate arbiter of tissue health and position. So for example, I am turning 49 this year in like a month or so. Um, I uh, thank you. I go and try to run my hill local hill once or twice a week just for tissue exposure. And what it means is like, I walk there, I warm up, I walk the hill a few times, I walk the hill a few more times, I start moving around differently. Then I start running, I'll put in quotation marks running. And then, you know, I, I do some little bit of accelerations, I change direction. And what I realize is that yes, my lungs are, are trashed after this, and I get to the top and I'm feeling like I'm gonna be green. But really, it's all about tissue exposure for me. So what I'm trying to help people understand is we need to make sure that we're putting in enough exposure in these hour training blocks that you're getting where we can expose you to some speed so that your tendons and ligaments and connective tissue can handle that, that we're looking at your diet and nutrition and blood panel so that we just don't miss something because it is so easy to have just, you know, take a wrong step and evolve something. And I like to believe truly that these things can be diminished. And I think they can, but we have to be very conscious of that. But if, if you want to continue to use your body at a high level for a long time, if you just want to walk around your neighborhood and watch TV, you're probably fine. Knock yourself out. Well, and, and right. That's the, I mean, that's really the difference power and strength and, and tissue exposure powers, right. Velocity times force. And so if you throw a, a massive impulse across tissue, that's not used to having that. That's right. Right. Boom. It goes. And the velocity is a squared factor. I think that's what people forget is that that real that impulse load is enormous. That change of direction plus that momentary peak force. You know, there's a lot of conversation about squatting and and where do your knees go and what's happening. And here's here's the truth. It doesn't matter in squatting. You know why? Because squatting is a low power activity. No one has ever said this. The highest power activities are generated in jumping. And what you don't see is feet collapsed, knees coming in, right? You just can't get away with it. That's why we see so many ACL injuries when people cut at high speeds trying to change direction. If you look at the first or second pull, particularly the second pull or second push in Olympic lifting, it's the highest movement of force production, wattage in any sport any human does. And you'll see that feet are engaged, not collapsed, and knees are out to maintain that force through the rotation of the hip. And it's not, you can just slam your knee forward because if you're just front squatting, even if you're front squatting three or 400 pounds, that's a lot of load, but it's low power. And I don't think people understand that speed is the arbiter. And this is why we, when we start to categorize movements, our category one movements are very slow and controlled. It can be even slower and controlled. So like classic strength conditioning is what we call category one, front squat, back squat, pull up, strict pull up, push up, those things. We can even go slower, make it tempo, we can add isometrics in there. But on the other side, we have speed, and then we have speed and change of direction. And I say that your tissues aren't ready to go and that you're not a competent mover until you can handle that speed and change of direction, And which means, of course, welcome to exposure, welcome to practice. And that just may mean we go from strict press to push press, right? That's, that's what I'm talking about. It, you know, you need to not just deadlift, you need to swing a kettlebell because you're rounded back deadlift technique doesn't work under speed anymore. And I think that's really the salient you know, from us, <clears throat> the definition of what are more idealized techniques that allow us to handle larger forces. Those are hinted at by our ability to manage and transfer force effectively.
For sure. So, and then there are other times where, I mean, so let's talk about you. What was the injury you had with your knee skiing? Oh, I booted out. I crashed going very, very fast racing a stranger. Okay. And, and you, was, was, you basically was, just dislocated. Your whole knee just exploded, right? No. You know, interestingly enough, um, I, had, I was very strong. I had just cleaned like 370. Um, I uh, was, you know, squatting a ton. Um, I was deadlifting, you know, in the big fives. And uh, so I was very, very competent. I had really strong tissues. So I, when I skidded out, I, was, I skidded out, just slid sideways down the slope at about 50 miles an hour. Just it, it, everyone can understand that that happens yeah. a lot. Like this, the slide out happens, whether it's slow or fast, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. But my ski, my uphill ski caught on my right knee. And all of a sudden there was this huge amount of impulse that went through the ski. And yeah. I was like, Ooh, I just, I just sprained my knee. And I stood up, my wife came down and she's like, Hey, you okay? You're covered in snow. I was like, ah, I think I sprained my knee. And I skied down. Oh. What it ended up happening was that I ended up putting my femur through my tibia and I had these two gigantic kissing bone lesions That's where funny. I basically crushed the articular surfaces of the joint. Okay. And um, eventually a couple months later I got an MRI because I was like, wow, this is not, this is not behaving like a sprain anymore. I think I have some internal derangement, ACL intact, MCL intact, LCL, MCL, all of that's intact. I, I I imploded the meniscus on that side, strangely, and uh, it, it boofed. And then, um, so I managed that for about seven years, you know, slowing things down, taking things off the table. And then finally, uh, Juliet and I did a, a Spartan Race Beast. And I was like, I can't find a way to run that's not irritating the crap out of this. And then skiing yeah. valgus force, because it was my lateral compartment. So <clears throat> anyway, I ha ended up choosing the best option. It wasn't about pain. I didn't have pain day to day. I had pain in certain movements. I had whinging and like, like electricity in certain movements and grinding. It wasn't necessarily pain and my knee would yeah. swell. But uh, the best option was a total knee replacement. We talked about a partial, but when they got in there, they saw the extent of the trauma. And interestingly enough, this is something that I've talked about a lot and got a lot of pushback from the physio community on is that we take swelling seriously. And of course, it's not an emergent like it's okay to be swollen. It happens. That ever happens to everyone. But chronic swelling is really hard on joint surfaces over long periods of time. And even one of the things we're seeing now is that if you've torn your ACL, you have a 50% chance likelihood of needing a total knee replacement because of the cocktail that's released with the trauma inside the joint. So when people show up with a swollen joint, we're like, hey, let's really let's manage it. Let's prioritize that. We can do that. You know, your body's tolerant, you can manage that. But creating that swollen surface all the time. It turns out I had eroded the space, my trochlear groove where my patella was coming in. I had a huge hole there. It wasn't painful, right? I, the rest of the surfaces were really degraded because my knee had been swollen chronically for seven years. And uh, when they got in there, they were like, holy moly. And again, I had the surgery because I had full range of motion. I could do pistols on this leg, I could do whatever I wanted. But I had positions that did not absorb force and too many things were coming off the table. So uh, the, the knee replacement was, uh, was a great eye-opener in how badly we're doing in terms of serving people after surgery. Well, yeah, I remember you talking about that uh, back in South Carolina. But also, so you're, to, to your point, you had trained your tissue. Shockingly, your tissues didn't blow up, right? No. And, you know what I mean? Like, like you'd been training your tissues, uh, like they withstood 
Technically, they were bulletproof, right? It was <laughs> the, scaff- the scaffolding did not hold. I, I needed, you know, what's interesting too is when they went in there to to uh, cut the bones. Yeah, they went through three saw blades. They they really had a difficult time cutting through my femur, and and um, they really kind of shocked them. The head of orthopedics for UCSF did the surgery. Thomas Vale, he's like president of the knee academy. He's he's the man really good. And this resident was in there doing the cut and was really freaked out because they couldn't <laughs> cut. And they were like, you have really strong bones. Like some of the hardest bones we've ever seen. And I was like, you should meet my mutant friends. Yeah. Like, like I'm a middle-aged guy. Like I'm not some superstar. Like how, what's your plan when my, my superstar friends come in adamantium for, for bones. So when, if when I Rich was shows that, up, <laughs> you, you're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah. Well, that's it. So uh, the big bones, you know, really are a thing. Cause what, how much, what do you, I'm, I'm going to ask you online. What do you weigh Kelly? 238. Okay. See, and I wouldn't put, I know you're tall, you're a big guy. I wouldn't put you at 238. And I think when I met you in San South Carolina, you were like 245. I might have been, I think uh, there was a time where I was going to do a powerlifting meet and I went up to get as strong as I could to, to try to pull 600. And then I was like, this is so dumb, <laughs> but now I'm just like, I'm just like, I'm so, this is, look, this is what I weigh. If my wife is right here. As long as she finds me attractive, I eat in a reasonable way. That's I it. Have the, I have the outlines of abs, but I'm like, look, whatever. Somehow this thing happened. I lived lifted weights for a long time and that somehow makes you stronger. And at some point I can say unequivocally, you're strong enough. And I'm definitely don't want to be heavier. I am the slowest mountain biker I know because I have to carry like a sandbag of meat up this hill every single time. So when I was doing triathlon and I was training on my bike with actual cyclists who, you know, weighed about as much as my leg weighs and we're going up these hills and he's going up and down twice by the time I've dragged my fat butt up the hill once. But, but, but your wattage was two X. You put out twice the amount of wattage. And so you can be like, I'm actually fitter. Yeah, I that's right. You know how, I don't know if you know how this works, but I'm actually, I know you beat me three times, but uh, I'm actually fitter than you are. I'm, so. I'm, I'm fitter, but, but back to the thing, right? I, I wouldn't put you at 238, right? Which tells me like looking at you that big bones really are a thing. Like dense, well, big bones are a thing. Yeah. And you know, I think what's interesting is tr- for me, my, the way I try to understand the world is pattern recognition. I try to understand relationships and I try to integrate seemingly disparate pieces of information. And one of the things that we know is that bone density just doesn't change because you take start taking a little caramel calcium chew. You know, that just that's not it. And that, strong bone? <laughs> you just you cannot load long enough, often enough, hard enough, and it takes decades. So what we see is that most people are bo- growing all their bone density in their 20s. Then all of a sudden, in their teens and 20s, all of a sudden they have this huge lifestyle change where they're not engaged in as much activity and they're doing more things like raising families or a job or a career. And they're, they suddenly are realizing they need a 401k and health insurance. Those things are more important than, than you know, jump roping and playing dodgeball. And what we see suddenly is that if you miss that period too in your 20s, that can be really detrimental and it's hard to catch up but it's particularly important that we continue to meaningfully load people. Look, everyone on this call remembers that mechanotransduction means that if you want a tissue to look, to express itself at a cellular level, you have to load it mechanically. 
And the way the bones work, if you recall, this will go way back into PT school, is that uh, you flex a bone, it creates an electrical impulse, a piezoelectric electric impulse that calls osteoblast. So you flex a bone, the bone creates an electrical charge, and then the, the, the cells that come in are like, whoa, 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 no electrical charge here, and they come and lay down bone. So there's a reason why we're really pointing at being sedentary as being a problem because, again, the thing that Juliet and I have really become focused on, we perseverate on, is what it looks like to be durable. How are we going to continue to create durable, resilient people from 40 to 100? Because the chances are you're going to be 100. And that looks different. That is not just having abs on Instagram. Sorry, everyone. I don't want to let that go. It doesn't mean that you do a juice cleanse and all gets good. What are the best practices that really create a situation where people have the tissue tolerance. What are now, now we take a step back. What are those crucial behaviors and when are people going to do them and who's responsible for teaching those things? Right. Which I think is one of the things that has contributed, I think to your success and guys like Aaron Horshig and some of these other guys is you guys do a great job of distilling down information that I think a lot of the PT world tries to make a little bit too heady, right? We, we, we try to overcomplicate it and make it this thing that only I know and I'm the gatekeeper mm -hmm. of, right? Rather than, hey, this stuff is actually really quite simple and it doesn't require what you all think it does. Like, I just like, I think it's, it was brilliant. You're showing your morning mobility routine as you sit at your coffee table, <laughs> drinking coffee, watching the news and getting in some mobility work. Like, yeah, you know what? I think what you're hinting at is the real change in the environment because we have social media, because people have better access. A decade ago, it looked really different or not even that two decades ago, it looked really different. But the, some of the sources of information happened because you wrapped your car, your body around something or had a moment where then you may went and saw physio and said, Hey, these things aren't great. A lot of that care that we were dishing out in our physio community was really unskilled, low-level care that should have been taught in middle school or elementary school. Hey, we're, we, human beings, sit on the ground. Why don't you sit on the ground while you're watching TV at night? Like, that's crisscross applesauce. Let me introduce you to that, ma'am. And <laughs> one of the things that I think we're trying to do is take some of that slack out of the system and one of the things that I know that I feel strongly about is I want to unload the unskilled care out of physical therapy. I think physical therapists and particularly physical therapist strength coaches have a real opportunity to help people manage complex problems where they're not experts. People are experts in so many areas of their lives. And sometimes you need an outside expert or a coach to help you guide through movement or help you restore motion or address some painful situation. Those are great uses of physio. Ungreat uses of physio are teaching you how to eat and how to sleep and, and how to squat. I should never have to teach those things as a physio. I should be able to say, hey, look, I see that you're missing this five degrees and here's your tendency and what's going on with this tissue and let me floss those sacral nerve roots for you or get into your – you know, I mean, there's plenty we can help manage or you, you're coming back from surgery and you don't know how to manage this yourself. Let me help you manage that. So I think one of the things that we're we are faced with now is what is it we want to own? And certainly your environment where you're in right now, your gym clinic setting 
doesn't look exactly like a traditional hung ceiling carpeted floor. So we have the opportunity to take our profession and expand it to also include those things. But now I don't know what your job is. Are you a coach here who's classically trained ballet? Are you doing modern dance, but you are, you know what I mean? So at some point, I think that's where some of the confusion is in our current, current uh, exposure. And then we have to add in this type one error that who is paying for this? We have completely attached ourselves and, and it's no one's fault. This is, I think this is crucial is that we made a decision 25 or 30 years ago to say, hey, hold up, hold up, hold up. We're, we're professionals. We know what this looks like. We're, our degree is legit. Let's attach ourselves to this medical model to get legitimacy. And suddenly now we're like, oh, crap. We just got folded right in into the quicksand of this medical model where we don't have control over reimbursement. We don't have control over the amount of time we're seeing. You know, really, like you're going to manage that ACL reconstruction with four visits? Really? That's that's it? Or 10 visits? Like, you, well, really? I remember, having, I remember having to turn people away all the time. They'd be in their ACL and, you know, you'd see them because, you know, the, the standard model was two to three times a week. And so you'd see them two to three times a week for four weeks. And all of a sudden their insurance company goes, sorry, pal, you're done. And, and then they go, well, how, what's the cash rate? And then you tell them what the cash rate is. Cause they, you know, and, and in the, the, the big, so I worked for, I worked for big corporate physio, like thousand, 1500 clinics around the country. Sure. Sure. And, and then when we go, Hey, what, uh, you know, well, they're like, what's the cash rate now? And you tell them it's 75 bucks. And, and I think about it, you know, now it, for 75 bucks, get you for an hour, <laughs> but they did. Yeah, no, they got me for 15 minutes. Cause I yeah. was seeing, I was seeing four, two to three to four an hour directing a clinic, seeing a hundred patients a week. And I'm supposed to give this guy high level individualized care unique to him and his recovery from surgery and and impossible it's no you can't do it and so that guy goes well i can't i don't i don't have i can't pay this i've already i've already had to pay for my whole high deductible and my copay every week and now you want me to do this but then the system has also created a whole bunch of people right that feel like insurance is the only way to do this and if i can't use my insurance i don't want it it's really um you really bring a highlighting, I think, that, again, type one error underlying all of the, the battles, the PT battles that we see. Um, if you are a British physio, right, because the Brits are very vocal. Um, yes, yes. And you work in the national. One in particular I follow. I love it. <laughs> you, you work in the national health system. I'll tell you that your your view of the world is different. There's always someone coming to you. They're always paid. You're always paid. Yeah. Um, so you, you end up viewing the world in a very different way. And if you only have a half hour with someone, is the best thing to do a pay them? Is that really the best thing to do in that half hour? No, it may not be. Uh, you know, And you can see that the information that people are getting where they're getting sucked into these hyper-technical manual conversations for very little exposure, that starts to color the way that you're seeing the world. And also you don't have anything at, at stake. You're you're gonna get paid no matter what. Whether someone does well or not, you get paid. If someone fails out of physical therapy, we don't actually track that, 
by the way. We don't know what failed outcomes look like in physio. You just stop coming. Guess you're, right. guess you're better. I'm the best physio in the world. So one of the things I really appreciate about young physios going out on their own is, man, you either help someone solve a problem and make an ally for life or you don't pay your rent. Guess what happens? We see better customer service. We see better follow through. We see a lot longer interventions. We see more frequent interventions. We see a focus on empowering people to manage their things at home. We see a lot tighter communication between patients and physios where you're texting your patients or sending them information. The whole thing changes because you have skin in the game. Yeah. I, I, giving my cell phone number to a patient when I was working for big corporate PT. No way unthinkable wouldn't even no way you can't have it you're going to abuse it i i no not going to have three, wor three words hipaa yeah <laughs> now it's like yeah cool knock yourself out my emr also has a hipaa compliant messaging so get at me if it's if it's <laughs> after eight o'clock i probably won't respond till the next day but get at me because i want to know exactly what's going on because if you don't succeed right well then i obviously don't succeed as a as a as a practice anymore, I'm gonna have to close my doors and go get a job doing what I absolutely, you know, and you're going to tell, you're going to tell everyone, you know, that I mean, I went and saw him and it didn't work. I didn't get better. It didn't help me, you know, and versus, you know, and really I think that's, that's magical. One of the things that I think is confusing about the interwebs these days is everyone thinks that they're a national global educator and the magic, the true magic, is what we call hyperlocality, which means that you know your people better than anyone else knows your people. This is why I don't tell people or I don't tell physios and health coaches how to coach or what to coach. I say, here are principles that help you at your job. Here's how people can be better prepared to receive your education or be exposed to you because we, I think we need to get we need to get people spun up to own their 50%. So they come to you and they're better owned. But the magic of you is that you know your community, you know the people, you have relationships, you know their family. That's hyperlocality. So if you can take care of three to 500 people around the year where they call you up for a, a, a thing that you are just, you are now their primary musculoskeletal provider and not, not throwing and banding that word around, not pretending like oh, I'm the primary point and I'm going to order x-rays and it's not what it means. It means that when someone's kid has knee pain, they freak out, they text your email, you jump on a quick call, and you don't charge for that. And if you suddenly, they can't get ahead of it, they come in and now you're caring for them for a lifetime. That was the model that my grandfather was in as a family practice doc, you know, in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, you know, is that he drove around and took care of people. And that really, you know, you saw someone's family that he delivered kids and delivered their kids' kids. So, you know, understanding that that's really what is the power of being a localized PT. The problem is suddenly we're like, well, you know, I should have this big platform instead of thinking, how do I hyper serve the people that I'm, I'm working with? When we started with this whole internet thing in 2010, we made our first video, we started putting out content, right? The iPhone didn't have a video camera. Juliet and I did that to serve our own gym community and the patients that we were seeing regularly because we needed a way to have them be more prepared so they didn't have to waste their time. And more importantly, I didn't have to waste my time as a physio. Like your knee is swollen. Why'd you show up with your knee swollen? Like, you know what the problem is? Your knee is swollen. Why aren't you dealing with that? Why? <laughs> what? 
You took a day off from work to come see me just for me to tell you that your quads are stiff and your knee is swollen. That's a poor use of anyone's time. Right. Here, take this band, wrap it around your knee, do a couple squats, move a little bit, throw some compression. You're going to be fine. Right. Unskilled. Unskilled. And, And so I think that's where we really have an opportunity to continue to expand what it, one of the things that I feel strongly is that we need to do be, you know, in our physio school, we talked about being better allies and allied healthcare, or we, like we talked about that. How are we going to work with nurses and doctors? And, and I'm like, wrong, 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 wrong. Better allies means that we work alongside the people who actually interact with the people three to five times a week. Yep. So you may be a, a PT or a physio who has a burgeoning practice, but you also may be one of these physio coaches out there, you know who you are, and it means that you are the person that they're seeing three to five times a week, and you're also their physio. You're their coach and their physio, which is, for me, the best possible thing, because we can jump on things. We can, hey, you're feeling stiff, or I want to prepare for this. Like We can just suddenly change, train, modify manage that old ACL injury or that thing, you know, that spondy back from college football, or we can just do it on the spot. But what we need to do is also empower coaches to now own their 50%. So the athlete is coming better prepared, nutrition, sleep, et cetera. The coach isn't part of the problem, creating compensation and overworking and, and doing freakish amounts of work in crazy positions. The coach is the person who's the first line defense, who's tamping down stupid stuff. And then is able to say, hey, I need you to go see this physio. And it's, right. it's not for forever. It's two or three sessions. You're back into class. So I think we have a real opportunity as a profession to reach in and empower and lift up. And what it means is we're going to have to give away some of this low-level stuff to the trainer at the YMCA. I just saw another physio roundtable like percussion guns. <laughs> and I'm like, why are you using percussion gun? As a physio, like, isn't that belong to the trainer? And doesn't that belong to a person in their living room? Like, what do you mean it's bad? What do you mean you don't like? Like, that's nonsense. You're against people making themselves feel better in their home and taking care of their tissues. That's what you're saying. What a bunch of horseshit. Yeah. I well, and so th- that was going back to this idea about unskilled care, but also this, these global platforms. I get a lot of people that that contact me or people that I work with and they're like, Hey, what do you think about this guy? Or what do you think oh. about this guy? Or what do you think about this guy? And they're like, and, and there's so now there's so much information yeah, that yeah. if you don't know what you're looking for, right. For the average consumer, that's right. How do you, how, how would you tell somebody how to sift through the information and find like, what, what are people looking for when they're looking for, somebody online to, to possibly trust. Cause that's the hard well, part. The, the real thing is, um, you know, do you have a dentist? You just, you're like, well, open it up. Dentist who cuts your hair. Someone who just like you blindfolded met on the internet, cut my hair. So one of the things that we ask for people is I'm like, well, who are they working with? So one of the, mm-hmm. one of the things we want the, online physio community to do is be more transparent. So I will speak for my own self. I try to show how I think, how I manage, what my treatments look like, what sessions look like. I've been doing this for 15 years, putting information out and showing people what it looks like soup to nuts. I show what classes look like, everything. So if you're coming at me with research and swinging at me, 
that's valid. Comma, can I see what you do for a session? Can I see right. how you treat and you manage and the conversations you have? Because people will be like, sure, I give you permission to film this, right? And you don't need to exploit people. You don't have to be that nurse, you know, making TikTok videos in the hallway. You don't have to do that. Right. But what you have an opportunity to do is be transparent and also show your show your work. Because I see a lot of people who are experts and they, I don't see any of their work. I'm like, well, I, I don't know if you're Picasso because I haven't seen any of your paintings. So I really love to see some of your work. And some level, like Aaron Horshig is a great example where you can see the people he's working with and the problems that they're solving in real time. He's hyper-transparent. And if you go work with Aaron, you'll see that he's going to say, hey, I need to be able to show this to someone. I know you're a world champion and you have a hip shift and a painful hip, but here's how we're going to solve this. The other thing that I want people to understand is that, man, all roads lead to Rome. Some people are going to be more efficient and less efficient. Professionals do a few things. They never shit talk. They don't shit talk. They don't, they don't punch down. They just show what they're doing. They don't ever talk about anyone else's work unless they're in the same room with someone. So that should be a red flag to everyone. And it doesn't mean we can't be critical or ask questions, but it's really easy to set up a picture of yourself. You know, and again, if you're attacked or you're making really strong claims without showing any of your work, you know, we want to we want to ask what's going on. Okay, like, hey, can you explain your thinking? You know, the second thing you'll see is that um, you know people are transparent in their their model. So if you're following someone, you can see their results and you can see the people talking about it and see the, what the actual work looks like. Third is better, same or worse. <laughs> like we don't even use that anymore. Like you know, because that's a leading question. How are your symptoms now as compared to? I don't even. I don't even. All yeah, right, symptoms like it's a. So the thing is. If you're making progress with a coach or a physio, stick with it. And if you stop making progress or, you know, I always tell all the patients I work with, I'm like, you need to be able to walk out and have a clear understanding of what you think the problem is, what you're going to do about it and what the next steps are. And if you can't do, and how long it's going to take, you know, because I'm, people were like, hey, I saw this guy and I didn't get any better. I'm like, well, did you give that feedback to that, that person? You know, was it the first visit? It may take a couple visits. But for us, our model, and our unless we knew we had a clear diagnostics, a clear diagnosis, right? Like broken bone, torn ACL, something going on. We could tell herniated disc. It wasn't going to resolve in three sessions. It was managed care where we're now managing. We're changing the kinds of things we're doing to get people to move again. And now it's coaching with a problem versus I typically... My own experience is if I don't have a handle on what's going on with you in three sessions, I stop seeing you and I refer you out to a different physio, to a specialist, to a doctor, because I've already taken three cracks at this, made a hypothesis, didn't work, made a hypothesis, didn't work, made a hypothesis, didn't work. I'm like, holy moly, this is something that I don't think I can solve, or it's above my pay grade, or we need to go get you a picture or something else going on. You know, in, in California, a physio can't see someone more than 10 times without a diagnosis. And I'm like, man, if you've seen me 10 times, yeah, <laughs> come on, like you, you should have fired me by now. Holy crap. That's amazing. Like 10 times, right? you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so that's how we want people to understand what they're doing. And that means we're going to have to continue to say that to people. Here's how you're going to consume this information. Here's how you're going to, well, is there a PT near you? Who have your friends seen? Who does the local gym use? Those are great indicators of someone, you know, and then again, test, retest, you know, did you go keto? How'd that work for you? Oh, you had diarrhea and you gained weight. Okay. So yeah. 
did you try this program and it didn't work for you? Okay, that's okay. It's run, We have time to run these experiments and not have the perfect plan. Unless I'm in the room with you, I can give you principles. I can give you my best approximation. I can, you know, and I do this in my protocols. I'm aware of this on Ready State. But if you go to our the Ready State programming, we have lots of different ways for you to interact with us. We have lots of different ways for you to do self-care and engage in this. And it still may not be enough, but it's it's a lot. Oh, absolutely. No, you guys' protocols are are spot are great. I I I loved the post-op protocol. It was super helpful augmenting what I what I'd already been doing, but it was We can lay Again, you're you're nailing it. I'm like, and of course you're not our typical bear, but what you know what we can do is I try to do things that lay over so that someone is better prepared to have a skillful conversation with an expert. That is something, and sometimes the work that we do negates the need to go see an expert. But if you've had a surgery, I'm like, we should be able to layer these principles right on top of whatever protocol, so that you can actually own your 50% of the healing process. Or more of that because you're not going to be able to see a physio or a, or a skilled provider five or seven days a week, which is what you need to do if you're trying to manage this this tissue health. Well, and and to your point about coaches and things, that even guys like I mean, I had I had somebody that I checked in with Kingsley, especially because Kingsley had the exact same thing that I had going on. <laughs> he is an expert, and so when and so when it came time that I was cleared to start doing some dumb, you know, some dumbbell curls, you know, no more than five pounds or whatever. I, I, I texted Kings. like, Hey Kingsley, I'm going to just kind of, I, I feel really good. I'm just going to dive right in at the five pounds on the blood flow restriction and stuff. And he just goes, Hey, why don't you hold up there? Super chief. And, uh, why don't we just start with zero, maybe try one pound. Let's go from there. See how that goes. <laughs> and I was like, thank you for being the voice of reason because I would, I would be a detriment to myself because I want it so bad, right? I want to get back and I needed somebody to rein me in a little bit, which is, which is great. Yeah. One of the things that I think people don't understand about me is how conservative I am. My, the training we do, the rehab, the protocols, it doesn't look conservative because it looks like a foreign language compared to what you're getting. Right. Or, right. you know, you know, TheraBand, you know, EO, whatever, it, you know, it looks like I'm a madman, but I'm like, Hey, look, we're going to look at these tissue healing times. You're either going to heal at the rate of a human being or you're going to heal slower than that. So we're going to work at that and we're not going to speed this thing up. And the amount of exposure and repetition is insane. How conservative I am, even for my own knee. I didn't do anything radical. Like no. people are like, how did, how'd you do that? I was like, well, I was super conservative. That didn't mean I, I was fearful and waited around and hoped that it got better. I mean, no. I'm out there pushing the sled and walking, getting a dose and spinning and, and just getting all this low level, you know, balance input, obsessing about small details so that I can now 21 months later, go run the hill and power clean and, you know, do what I need to do all, you know, at week 10, I got on the bike, no clip-ins week 14. I, um, I skied. And uh, I was like, hey, I'm going I'm to ski. And I skied for 37 minutes. And I was like, I'm good. I skied. And my, yep. hand, my knee looked like hamburger and it's swollen. And I was like, I did it. I'm, I'm healthy. I'm safe. I'm going to go ski. And I was like, nailed it. And then I was like, okay, I'm, now I'm going to go recover from this exposure, which I clearly wasn't ready to do. So, right. you know, what you, what you found there is coaches need coaches. If you're a lone practice or 
Physio, who are you working with? Who, show me your associations, which also is another thing. And I'm not talking about your online associations. I mean, no. who, where are you practicing your craft with like-minded coaches, physios? Show me where you're integrating and having, you know, I work with the English national soccer team right now. I work with the Niners right now um, as a couple examples. And I don't come in and be like, hey, check this out, skadoosh. I'm like, where are your problems? How does this integrate with you? What yeah. is your experience? How are you solving this problem? Oh, I, I see. I like, you know, I mean, how can, how can you continue to refine and practice if you've set yourself up as an island and turns out coaches need coaches and coaches do have coaches. Well, and speaking about the 49ers and back kind of, I'm jump calling back to earlier in the conversation, but I just saw Fred Warner, right? Their stud middle backer doing, did you see his video of him doing like all kinds of crazy like kicks and, oh, like he was doing like crazy martial art, like roundhouse kicks and like kicking a bag and doing all kinds of stuff. And I'm thinking, you know, anybody else like casual football fan, be like, what the hell is this guy doing? He's got a season coming up and I'm going, this guy is, this guy's a, a mad, he's a genius. He's, he's loading his tissues in all kinds of weird and crazy ways and like impacting his joint in this long lever, but like being able to withstand it and landing on single foot after this like weird rotational oh, I spin. Love it, I love it. So what you're, what you're seeing is systems thinking by a really clever organization. Their coaches you there? I'm back. Oh no! I was like, oh no, I lost him. Um, you were saying really clever. You want to hit record again? Yeah, is it still? It's it's still going. You are you? I'm still okay. recording. Okay, perfect. So what you're seeing is really smart. Uh, you're frozen. Okay, there you go. Really smart, clever coaches who are thinking in terms of systems and exposure and i'm not surprised because their staff is is remarkable and i may or may not have said it already in this and then when we cut out but they're all level two coaches they're all oh. gone through the ready state they've all gone through our 101 and our 102 and we work close with them and what we do is i don't come in and say do or don't it's not my job my job is yeah. saying is your is your training meeting these goals are you exposing do your athletes have this limited range or exposure to this range how are are they communicating that? Who owns this problem? How are you going to solve that? So what you're seeing is um, how coaches and athletes are suddenly working together to solve the problem. English national soccer team, for example, we have a generation of young footballers who are not floppers, who aren't like, oh, I'm so special. They're like, I want to make millions of pounds. I want to play for, for 20 years they're starting to push this performance staff on nutrition, recovery, adaptation, and really owning the process. And that's what we're starting to see. And that's how we'll, we'll help people come out of professional sports, which if I'm being totally transparent is, is entertainment and really important. It's, I mean, it is athletes are chattel. It's not that it, they're always against the system. So when I go in with an organization one of the hypotheses that we have is that the system is against the coaches and the athletes. It's not us. No one's trying to keep them down. It's always us trying to beat the system and beating the system means that you come out unharmed. You're able to play better. You're able to have not fallen into poor care that you own the responsibilities of what you needed to own. 
that's us beating the system. And we're starting to see a sophistication in players and in coaches, which does two things. One is that it continues to have sport occupy an important role in society, which is our test kitchen. Look, um, E.O. Wilson says the highest calling of sports, highest calling of science is transform humanities. And that, and that pure science is great, but really science is about trying to transform the lives of humans. Um, highest calling of strength conditioning and sports performance is to transform, transform communities, whether that means giving people an opportunity to have common cause and rally together and celebrate together, or for us to say, this is what we think is our best understanding of how to prepare someone for these things. Now let's take that backwards and distill that down to, hey, what does that look like when I'm trying to prepare your son to play football? or your daughter to play water polo. That's that's how we use that. And that's why our work in professional sports is important, not because it gives us bona fides. Look, I worked with the national team, our professional team. It's because it gives me a chance to put my rubber to the road and to help improve the system so we can actually consummate what's possible out of sport. Well, and what I love, you've probably seen, maybe you have or haven't seen it, but there's like this, it's on Instagram or t- I think it's Instagram, but there's this thing going around. If we If we lived how we trained, have you have oh, you seen I, this? I love that. Right, the guy's yeah, like so good. he's picking up the laundry basket and then like just doing like a like a like a clean and a jerk and how we're picking up kids and yeah no but that's but that's really what this is all about like is to get people to a higher state of resiliency like you said resiliency durability so that because you're right I mean we're all gonna live if if you're if, I think if you're born in the last forty years fifty years. Odds are good you're going to live well over a hundred years old, and and after yeah, doing home I health, think- you can either be laying on your couch with uh, uh, I, people used to bring me grocery bags full of pills because I'd have to for Medicare I'd have to document and I should you know document what uh, everything they're taking so that I know if something weird happens I can go okay shoot is it this this or this or but I mean grocery bags and pages of medications. And it all started off with, well, I took this medication to, because of this one thing. And then I took this medication to combat this side effect. And then, oh crap, I had another. So it's, and it just stacks on itself. And if you realistically, the, I mean, I mean, you know, that you've been saying this forever diet. So food, sleep, exercise and, and community, some of the best medicine on the planet. And if you want to live past a hundred and still want to be able to play pickleball, Go for it. And I know, yeah, you've, we've got a, a time. No, I was going to say, I was, there's a fly on my arm. What I was going to say is that there is, you still may need some medication, but you may need less medication. You may need right. fewer medications. I think that's, but what we have to say is, well, what could we control for? And we're not controlling for that. And now we've stumbled into, is the physician the place where I should be getting my health information? Is, is the physician has six to eight minutes to really have a conversation with me about understanding my stress and my complex relationships and my complex history. Once again, let me just point out that the physician is not the problem. She is working to the best of her abilities in the constraint of she has to see 40 patients a day yeah. and get to the point. So that person has to now have um, – you know, a series of healthcare providers or health coaches to be able to hand you off to. Where does that exist? It doesn't exist. It exists in a very few hospitals in the world where people are coming in and then they're handed over to someone to go for a walk or get some, you know, some environmental health. And that is, it can't be done in a handout. It can't be. And what you're seeing is just the, 
people start with the assumption that people actually are trying to help, right? But they are handcuffed and they have very few tools. So if I only have a hammer, I'm going to try to help you with my hammer. And, and, not, and that's not the analogy of like everything looks like a nail. It's like I only no. have this tool and I have six minutes to help you and I want you to get out of pain. But we've got to take a different crack this. Juliet and I have a big book coming out in April. We signed with Knopf this year. Um, uh, it's called Built to Move. And it's really about trying to synthesize all the things we've seen have high performance in the last 15, 20 years into practices that are not diet and exercise. So that it's, it's the book every physician can give their patient. Every physical therapist can give their mother and say, hey, I need you to do these things. And then we can have the next conversation about should you be keto or not? Because you're ta- talking about your juice cleanse, but you don't eat fruits and vegetables. You are, you know, you don't get enough protein or even walk to decongest your lymphatics. You don't sleep. You don't, you're, you're not even standing on one foot. You don't even have range of motion in some of these basic joints. Of course, your back hurts. You aren't CO2 tolerant. You can't take a full breath. Like what we've tried to do is say, hey, look, let's stop arguing about which rope and what color rope we're going to take as we go up Everest. That's what we're, you know, which snack has the most macronutrients as we climb. Let's go ahead and get everyone to base camp first. And what's happening is we're not even at base camp. And what we really are seeing, and I think this is particularly specious, is that people are in our vertical are becoming hyper sophisticated and having really nuanced conversations in strength, conditioning, fitness, and wellness. And we're leaving everyone else behind, people who don't have a history aren't in a community like this, there's, there's so much confusion about what I need to do that they re- result. So we're trying to simplify that message. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's, um, you know, it turns out, of course, that this is the set of behaviors that we engage with, with all our athletes as the foundation, right? Yeah. Like you're coming in, I'm like, are you congested? Well, what are our means to decongest us? You know, well, let's talk about that. It turns out it's breathing and jump roping and or bouncing and walking and, you know, and heating. And man, it's it's pretty simple. I think the body is a lot more durable and resilient. I think, um, you know, you secretly can, you know, smoke cigarettes and eat chocolate donuts and win world championships for a while. I mean, I just want people to understand that you can do it for a while. There was a guy in a local competition here just would wreck everybody dude's dude's motor was unbelievable and he would go i remember i watched this one it was it was like rowing it was fire hose care drags and and like pulls it was burpees this dude destroyed everybody walked over cracked a beer smoked a cigarette and had another event in five minutes throws it down, puts it out, finishes his beer and goes off to destroy everybody again. Like whether that's theater or not, I love everything about that. And I want people to understand that it is, you know, (laughs) one of the, the things that we, that's another added layer of elemental confusion is that we have told everyone you can be elite. (laughs) If you eat this way, if you're paleo, do you, you can't, you, you have no idea. There was just some new research that came out that they can predict whether you'll be an international cyclist competitor mm. or a, or a national cyclist competitor or, or so, football. so are you going to play for your national team or international, which is a leap ahead, right? That's like college yeah. versus pro. And they could predict that based on your heart rate variability. 
Really? Your ability to recover. Just your innate ability, genetic, parent-choosing ability to recover was the difference between you. And they could be like, oh, heart rate variability, this guy's a good player, but this guy's a great player. This woman's a good player, this woman's a great player. And it turned out it was is one of those pieces. And so I think we have confused people because we're, you know, we're all we're all elite now. We're all, you know, athletes and oh, uh, yeah. we're all eating the best way, you know, optimizing. And I'm like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. You know, well, it's not yeah. quite the same. So that that guy's clearly a mutant. By the way, don't smoke and drink between <laughs> between I, events. I just think that <laughs> Yeah, no matter may, how hard may I may not be as effective as you think. No matter how hard I try, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna be in the finals heat with Usain Bolt in the hundred meter dash. Ain't happening. Don't have those fast twitch muscle fibers. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, and decades of of exposure. Um, right. You know, it's it is. Uh, so as we're as we're tangling this, we just want to keep thinking. Um, what does this look like in the long term? What is our role here? And yeah. we're allowed to change our minds and evolve. But uh, what I'll say is maybe what we're currently doing isn't working or working fast enough, or it is working, but the glacial pace is the breakneck pace. Yeah. And we won't know what the, the experiment is. You know, all, all of these people who are apologists, well, I'll say for, it doesn't matter, move, it's how, however you want. I'm like, well, you can say that because you haven't run the experiment yet. But yeah. in 50 or 60 years, we'll see what the result is because it turns out that we do see a lot of the results of those things. If you are in a kyphotic position all the time and don't load, it's difficult to load when you're bent over in half and then you have a burst fracture, you own that burst fracture. If you doesn't matter what you're doing with your pelvis and all of a sudden you see a ton of spondy related things, that is your problem. Yeah. And so I think that's the issue is we need to run this experiment to really see because the human is so durable and it can handle so many duty cycles – what are inputs and outputs? It's a time scale that's difficult for us to manage or, or you know, comprehend. 100%. Well, Kelly, I know we, you, we had a, there's a time crunch here and I appreciate you, you giving me the time that you did. So uh, I think everybody knows where they can find you, but if they don't know where they can find you, they can find you at, at the ready state. Where can they find you? We, we are the ready state.com and at the ready state on all the socials, TikTok, uh, um, Insta, all those things, you know, if you want to be entertained, if you're bored for a second, you know, we're, uh, we're, tr we're trying to, uh, we're trying to update our game. We're on TikTok now. We're, we're trying to, you know, we have a minute now to capture people's attention or less. Apparently the best TikTok videos are 11 seconds. So we're going to continue to work on refining our understanding of human condition to 11 seconds. Keep up the two truths and a lie. I enjoy those. Oh, I've got a few more good ones. I, I have no doubt that you do. So... <laughs> 